0: Morning. Happy Blessed Easter, huh? I've, uh, I've got a poem here that I'd like to read. And uh, it was written by one of our own, Roger Clark. Some of you might know him. And anyhow, it's entitled, What is Easter for You? It was the night before Easter, and all through the house not a creature was stirring, not bunny or mouse. I was up with my Bible. I just couldn't sleep when from the back of my mind a thought began to creep. My wife and I, before Easter, went shopping for stuff. We noticed stores' decorations were nothing but fluff, toy bunnies and chickens, eggs and candy for me. <laughs> but there was nothing about Jesus. Not a thing I could see. For years, eggs for Easter symbolized a new life for all, a new life for Christians when Jesus does call. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me, yet now in the stores, nothing of him do I see. That rugged old cross is now a symbol of joy For Jesus is risen for each girl and each boy. The stone rolled away, not his body anywhere. Then standing by the woman, don't cry, he does care. Our lives are so busy, so many things we can do, yet each morning we wake, our life starts anew. The choice is ours to receive his forgiveness and grace for when our life is over. We'll see him face to face. My heart breaks for some children and many adults that I know. For only bunnies and eggs their Easter thoughts go. Candy bunnies and eggs for part of the day are just fine. But for the cross on our dinner table, that focus is mine. Many know of his story, but his story is true. He lived. Died and is risen, waiting for me and for you, for our joy now and eternal. It's Jesus we need. He's risen. It's Easter. He's risen indeed. Well, our uh, our text for this morning is. John chapter 20, uh, verse 18, uh, all the way through verse 31. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she'd seen the Lord and that he'd spoken these things to her. Then the same evening, same day at evening, being the first day of the week, When the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed him his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We've seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst, and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Don't be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now, I'd like to say a short prayer, please. Father God, on this resurrection day, just, there's not, Words that can adequately express how how we feel for what you've done for us, but Lord, I ask, please, that uh, you open all our hearts to your word today, and just let your Holy Spirit come down here and dwell among us. That your when your word comes out. It'll be just like when Christ breathed on the disciples and gave them the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Isn't God good? <clears throat> and all the time, <laughs> you guys are so well trained. That's. Uh, somewhere my wife is rolling over in her grave. Where's she at? She didn't even stay in church? <clears throat> Man, that's rugged, huh? She, she told me I could wear suspenders as long as I kept a jacket on. <laughs> that looks like the yoke's on me. She left and I'm here all by myself. As we look this morning to, uh, to the text before us, it's an exciting opportunity to see some really exciting things. Jesus, as we, as we shared a little bit earlier, in, in, earlier, Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that all mankind, all his life long, has been in bondage to the, to the fear of death. And that Jesus Christ came to take that fear, to destroy that enemy, to pave the way so that we can have an eternity with God. So exciting but it's hard for us because we come to to Easter morning we come here and we we talk about these things we know the end of the story and it's not that that Jesus hadn't told his disciples but let's face it uh, you guys don't always listen to everything you're told do you and neither did they they kept hearing Jesus say I'm going to go and I'm going to be I'm going to be crucified I'm going to be beaten and they kept hanging up on that part like, whoa, no, that can't be, no. So they didn't ever listen. Every time Jesus mentioned his arrest and his crucifixion, he told about his resurrection. But well, they didn't hear it. <coughs> as we looked at John chapter 20 this morning, we see that, that even though <coughs> Peter and John raced to the tomb, and they, they go in and they look, and we see the progression as they begin to understand some of the things around them, but they didn't quite know what to believe. They just knew something had happened. And scripture says, for they as yet did not know that he was supposed to rise from the dead. Now, you and I, we may ask ourselves and say, well, Jesus said it all the time. How could they not know it? Well, all you have to do is be married for 10 minutes and you can figure it out. I think, (laughs) I think, uh. I think I've been married 29 years, going on 30 years, and my wife still tells me to pick up my socks. (laughs) How many times has she said it in 29 years? You want to take a guess? (laughs) Well, now I wear flip-flops most of the time, so there's not so many socks. But sometimes it takes a long time for those things to sink in. And they were saying something, Jesus was saying something the disciples didn't want to hear. So they... Just tuned him out. Now we come to this day. Three days after the worst day of their life. And we look at verse 18. Just take a look at it. It says, uh, Mary Magdalene, she just had her episode with Jesus. And and Jesus said, go to my brethren. And she goes and told the disciples uh, that she had seen the Lord. And that he had spoken these things. So she goes and she tells them. And they all get excited. And immediately they believe and start. Oh, that's not what happened, huh? Because the next verse tells us they kept the doors locked. It says in verse 19, that same day at evening, being the first day of the week, Sunday, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Man, they're afraid. And it reminds me of what Hebrews chapter 2 told us, who all their life long were afraid of death. What are they afraid of? That's what the Jews are going to do to him. They just did it to Jesus. They just put him on the cross. They're afraid. When we start to hear the the joyous uh, scriptures, Paul writes to us in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, that I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. What's he declaring? I'm not afraid of death anymore. I already died. I died when Jesus died. Isn't that what we symbolize in baptism? In baptism, when we take that body below the water, what what, what does it symbolize? That I have died in this life and I'm being raised anew. And so what hold can death hold over us from that moment forward? From the moment we give our faith and we put our trust in Jesus Christ, what hold can it have? If what Jesus has accomplished is true, then death is defeated and we are set free. But the disciples are not set free right now, are they? They're not set free yet. They're huddled up in the upper room, doors locked, gathered together, afraid. Afraid in this place. But what's the scripture tell us? It says, and Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. Peace be with you. I think just like Mary, those guys all wanted to see Jesus again. They all wanted to see him again. What set Mary apart and what allowed Mary to be the first one is because she was willing to go. She's out there. She's beating feet. She's wanting to find him. And so Jesus uh, appeared to her first, but now we have the disciples gathered and they're afraid and they're freaking out and John, I'm sure, at least, is trying to put together in his mind the things that he saw in the tomb and, and what does this all mean and, and, and where's the body and, and did he rise or did somebody take it? And so he, he's, he's, they're talking and they're working it all out and then just right then, there's Jesus. It reminds me, when the disciples were on that boat, remember in the Sea of Galilee? And they're paddling out there on a boat, and Jesus is pretty tired, so he goes to sleep. And the storm starts. You guys remember the story, right? Storm gets crazy, rocking storm, and it looks like the boat's going to sink. And the disciples run in and say to Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? You ever said those words? Looking up to heaven? Don't you care that we're perishing? What is the next thing Jesus did? He said, oh, ye of, of little faith. And he comes up and he stands up on the, the top of the boat and he says, peace, be still. The Bible says he rebuked the storm. Same word used whenever Jesus cast a devil or a demon out of someone else. So the idea is that the storm was somewhere, the, the, the control of that storm was, was under demonic control. Jesus rebukes the storm, everything stops. Water gets glassy. And what do the guys, they're like, oh, who is this who controls the power of the wind and the waves? Who is this? God in the flesh. John 8, 24, Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, ego I me, eternal God, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe I am. Pretty Emphatic statements that Jesus makes well later on we see those same disciples, right? They're out there Jesus said go to the other side. I'll meet you. I'm going over here to pray Jesus goes up on a mountain to pray They go out the storm starts again only this time the disciples handle it different right you guys remember they just keep rowing the waves come over the top boats filling up with water one guy's bailing. the other guys rowing, but they just keep rowing What did they learn different from before? They learned that at any moment, Jesus, who has won the victory over the storm, can say, peace be still. That's the night Jesus came walking to them on the water. Remember? And so the disciples, they're, they're huddled here in this room in fear, and Jesus appears in their midst. And it's as though in this storm, in another storm alive for them where things have turned out different than they thought. Anybody ever have things in their life turn out different than they thought they were going to? Oh, yeah. So they're thinking, they're thinking well, this is, not the, this is not the way it's supposed to go. This is not what's supposed to happen. And they're afraid, and they're huddled up together, and they're, they're panicked in that place. And so Jesus shows up just to remind them, just so they know. There's nothing to be afraid of anymore. So he says, "Peace to you." In John 14, he began to tell the disciples about the peace that they were going to get. In John chapter 16, he told them about the power that they were going to receive. And, and as we look at the things that Jesus was promising them, here we see him coming from the grave, just like a conquering king. He's one. And the conquering king would always come back into the town or the place where he ruled and he would come back bearing gifts. Whatever he, whatever he had just won, whatever he had just had. And so he comes into their midst and he drops the first gift for them. And he says, peace be with you. Yet yeah, Jesus came to give us peace in the midst of the storm. He came to give it to us. We have to choose to lay hold of it. But the gift is there. It's on the shelf. All we have to do is reach over and grab it, open it up, and see the peace that God gives us. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. Peace to you. He's he's extended. It's like it's like the king, conquering king, standing before his guys, and he says, "Here's this. Here's a gift I have for you. Peace. Peace in the midst of the storm. Things are crazy. Everything's going to be different in their life from now on. You guys know that, right? Everything's going to be radically different. I mean, just picture all the, the disciples. Up until this point, we laugh about all the knuckleheaded things they do, arguing about who's the greatest, who's more important than who. That's all over." They're not anybody going to argue about that anymore. It's not anybody going to fight about that anymore. All they're going to be focused on now is doing what God has asked them to do. Their lives are transformed and it started with the peace of God. See, when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have peace with God. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you don't have that peace. Peace. But when we do, we have that peace. We have that peace that comes from the Lord. The second thing that Jesus gives them is the very next part of the verse. He gives them purpose. What did he say to them? As my father sent me, I send you. In the same way my father sent me to go and do, fulfill the will of God, in the same way Jesus says, I am sending you. We have purpose. He's got a plan and a purpose for our life. It's not just random occurrences. But you know, we need to understand we live in enemy territory. This place is not our ultimate home. And the more I watch the news, the more I realize I would like to check out of this place and find a new place. (laughs) I listen to the news and I try to figure out. How in the world are these guys figuring these things? They sit around and think, what is the worst thing we could do? Let's do that. Well, maybe. But all I know is I don't have to be afraid. No matter what happens. Jesus won. The victory is assured. It's guaranteed. The victory now, a victory later. I'm going to move forward in, the, in that view of victory. Because he has given me a purpose. Apart from Jesus, I had no, what good, what is life? The, the amassing of goods, what, uh, the guy who wins with the most toys, he, does he really win? And what exactly does he win? Because at the end of the day, I've been there. I've been there at the end. I, more times than I care to, to count. And as I watch people pass from this place into eternity, I've never seen anybody take a thing with them. You know what I have seen? Everybody left behind fight over the stuff they got. Just fight over it, bicker over it, all that garbage. Is that what life is about? What's it about? uh, uh, Getting more, having more? If apart from Jesus Christ, apart from the purpose that He gives us, what are we living for? Things that pass away, things that go. Death taught us that this life has got to be about more than just putting together goods, having a family, there's got to be more, everything inside us, anything in our heart cries out, there's more to this, we have this infinite size hole in our life that can only be filled with the infinite God, and it beckons, it cries, it says, there's more, there's more to this, so God gives us purpose, Jesus said, I'm sending you, there's a lot of people worried about a lot of other things. But Jesus kept it simple. I love simple. One plan, one purpose. People say, Jackie, do you know that there are going to be four blood moons? Yes, I know. But you haven't said anything about it. Jesus didn't say, Jackie, go and teach about four blood moons. What did Jesus say? Go into all the world and make disciples of every nation baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even into the end of the age. If the world is supposed to end tomorrow, you're still supposed to be doing the same thing. Right? Our job. our job to go take the truth of the Word of God To anyone who hasn't heard, to share the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Do I think the blood moons are interesting? Yeah, and especially that they're happening on Passover and around Sukkot. Oh my goodness. There's, There's a lot of cool things. And those are cool. But I have a purpose. And that purpose is to sow the seed of the word to any field I can reach. God does the rest. I got to sow. I have a purpose. But then not only did he give us purpose. Look at verse 22. When he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He gave them peace, purpose, and power. You see what God's calling you to do. You're thinking, I can't do that. I just can't do that. I cannot be that person. But he's given us power to be that person. In the beginning, in Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How did he do it? He spoke. What did he say? Let there be And there was light, right? So when God speaks, something happens. When Jesus said, receive ye the Holy Spirit, it happened. It's in the imperative. It happened right now. They received the Holy Spirit. We're going to see the, the baptism, the empowerment of the, of the disciples at Pentecost roughly 50 days later. But for now, they have the Holy Spirit. Their lives are radically transformed. Now they have living within them the power to fulfill the purpose and the understanding that they have peace with God through Jesus Christ, their Lord. They have all those things come together. Jesus is ushering to them through the resurrection. That's why Paul said, look, if there's no resurrection, we are of all men most pitiable. Because everything in our lives hinges on the resurrection of the dead. 2,000 years later, we still celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There still is no body. The tomb is still empty. I've been there. Both places. In fact, they had three places at one time. And then they found out one of the places was a fraud. So they have two. One of them, you can't see the tomb. One of them, you can Pretty cool opportunity when we get a chance to go to Israel to check it out. Check out the, the historical spot where they built this giant church over to the top of the ground so you can't see, you can't see anything anymore. And then you go to the, to the garden tomb where you can see a garden and a tomb and get an idea for what it looked like. And maybe that's the one. Both empty. As we look and as we see, we see the fulfillment of all these things that Jesus Christ promised us. Then, in verse 23, there's this crazy verse. You guys see what it says? It says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. What does that mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) All the verbs in that verse are in the passive. Passive. In the passive in the Greek means that it is something given. It is not something you do. If it was in the active, it would be something they did. But it's in the passive. It's something they proclaim. It's something they say. What do you mean? You mean whoever you go to and you cast the seed of the truth of Jesus Christ and who he is. And they receive that seed and that seed takes root and begins to grow and bears forth fruit. Their sins are forgiven. And the one that the seed just hits and bounces off, you guys remember? The seed just ricochets off because a heart is so hard it can't take up any place to grow. Their sins aren't forgiven. There's only one way to have the forgiveness of sins, and that's through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. He's the only one who became sin for me so that I might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21 lays that out for us. So that he who died for me, he who bore sin, he became sin. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for that sin and then rose again to defeat death so that we would have a way. So that we would have a, a path to clearly follow. And then Jesus turned around and he said to us, come follow me. Come and go where I am going. Come and be with me. Now we come to verse 24. Verse 24. It says there was only 10 guys in the upper room. Who was missing? Thomas. What do we call him? Doubting doubting Thomas. Doubting, Doubting Thomas gets it rough, man. He gets named for all eternity Doubting Thomas. Anybody in here not had any of those? So we ought to relate to Thomas pretty easily, huh? So check out Thomas. Thomas is not there. It was, he was called Thomas Didymus, uh, which translated means the twin. Thomas the twin. Now, he didn't have a twin. We don't know of a twin in, among the disciples. So the idea is that they called him the twin. They called him the twin because some of the, the, the speculation is that he looked like Jesus. Now, we don't know that. Here's what I know. All the other disciples were afraid that the Jews were going to kill him, and they were in the upper room. And I think Thomas is walking down the street just daring one of them to come at him. He's out looking for trouble. He's not there. Where is he? If he was hiding, you don't think he'd be with the other guys? But he's not there. He's out walking the streets. He's thinking to himself, you know, I had all my hope. I had had placed my trust and faith in Jesus. Now he's gone. what, What do I got? Come on, you guys have felt this way before, going through a struggle, you just throw up your hands, say, forget it, I quit. If that's how it's going to be, I'm just going to do it my way. <clears throat> so, Thomas goes walking through the streets, and he misses the meeting. And Jesus showed up. Now look what happens, it says, Thomas, called the twin, wasn't there when Jesus came. So the other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. Look, we've seen him. We perceive him. We, 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 he was right here or we could touch him. What's Thomas say? Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand in his side, what's that next phrase? I will not believe. It's a statement of will. It means it's a choice. Does it say, I can't believe." "No," he says, "I won't believe. I won't. I won't do it. I put my trust in that. I thought this thing was going someplace. I thought we had something going. Don't you guys remember when there was all those people, 5,000 men and their wives and kids, people everywhere, it was so crowded, Jesus had to get in a boat to teach the people. And when he taught the people, they listened and we fed them. You remember when we fed them and we did all that stuff? What was all that for? What was all that for? Just so he could go on to, 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 to that mountain to Golgotha and die? Is that what it was all about? Really? He don't, he don't want what's going anymore. He's been disappointed. So he says, man, I, I will not believe. So eight days later, eight days, after eight days... His disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came. Jesus told a story. You remember the story? He said, which of you who has 99 sheep and one goes astray won't leave the 99 to go to the one. Jesus called himself in John chapter 10 the good shepherd, didn't he? So if I lose one of my sheep, I'm going to go. So you have Thomas saying, I won't believe, I'm done, you know, I, I quit, I give up. This is going to be too hard. And in the midst of that place, Thomas not looking for him. Jesus came to him. Jesus came to him. It says, Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst. And he said to Thomas the same thing he said to the rest of the guys. What did he say? Peace to you peace. I died to make peace between you and God. I died so that you could know peace. Right now in his heart there's all this turmoil, right? But he said I died so that you might have peace so that you could cling to peace. And so he said to Thomas reach your finger here. What does that mean? In The first half of chapter 20, we see Mary clinging to Jesus. She's holding on to Jesus for all she's worth. And Jesus says to her, don't cling to me, Mary. Don't don't cling to me. I have to ascend to my father. Our relationship's not going to be physical where you can touch me anymore. But when I go to my father, then you can cling to me. That's what's implied. You can't cling to me here. But when I go, you'll be able to cling to me because I'm going to be everywhere all the time. I'm going to be everywhere all the time. So where was Jesus when Thomas said, "Unless I see the nail prints and I can put my finger in them and I put my hand in the, in the wound on his side, I won't believe. Where was Jesus then? It was right there. He's right there with him. So he comes to his lost sheep and he says to him, "Hey, check it out, man, reach your finger here, look at my hands, reach your hand here. Put it in my side. And then he says this incredible thing. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. Look, guys, Jesus came to give us peace, purpose, and power to do the things that he's called us to. But you can't have any of those things without faith. So Jesus says to Thomas, this all hinges on faith. And here's the trouble with faith. People are, are, are so hung up on evidence, and there's a lot of evidence throughout the Word, throughout uh, archaeology, throughout science, a lot of things that confirm different things to the Bible. Do you realize that the only way any one of us in this room can know anything, according to the study of uh, epistemology, the, the study of how we know, how do we know anything, do you know the one common denominator for how we can know anything? Faith. Faith. Everybody has to have faith. What do you mean? Oh, I have to have is evidence. Oh, it's not true. All evidence can ever tell you is probability. And probability only tells you what will probably happen. Right? So at some point, even though you have the probabilities laid out, you still have to make yourself vulnerable to whatever the thing is that you're trusting in. And depending on the size of, the, of the, the issue, the trust, that's how much faith you need. It doesn't take a lot of faith to sit in a chair. That's easy, right? If that don't work out, you're on the floor. Maybe a little embarrassed, but it's not such a big deal. But as, it, as the, the deal gets bigger and bigger and bigger, it gets harder and harder To come to the place where you're willing to make yourself vulnerable. Because the only way that you can get into faith, the only way for you to step into faith is to allow yourself to be vulnerable. To say, I will, I'm choosing vulnerability. I'm putting my trust in this place. When we hire somebody, just think about it. When we hire somebody, we we put together all the information that we can get on them. We get references. We call their friends or their family. We try to find out what other people say about them, and they tell us all how great they are. And maybe we have them take a psychological test and, and to make sure that they're going to be just right for the job, and they take the psychological test, and everything looks good. But at the end of all of that, all we have is a probability that they're going to work out. And the only way to know for sure is to make myself vulnerable and have a faith to hire them and see what happens, right? It's that way with everything that we can know. It requires us to be willing to make ourselves vulnerable. Thomas was hurt. Anybody ever been hurt? Thomas is hurt. His things didn't work out the way he thought. His plans didn't coincide, didn't line up with God's plans. And so because he was hurt, he'd been hurt. He didn't want to make himself vulnerable. It was a choice of will. I'm not going to make myself vulnerable. I'm not going to make myself vulnerable. So Jesus appears to him and he says, here, look, I made myself vulnerable for you. And sometimes it hurts. But the end result. Is victory. You remember what Thomas said next don't you. Look what the scripture tells us. Thomas answered and said to him. My Lord. Kyrios. And my God. Theos. He called them Kyrios and Theos. Kyrios is the word used in the Old Testament for Yahweh, Jehovah. Throughout the Septuagint, Kyrios is the equivalent to using the name of God. He calls him Kyrios and Theos. My Lord, my sovereign, my king, and my God. He makes that choice to make himself vulnerable again when he sees Jesus. When he sees the love of Jesus, when he sees all that Jesus has done for him and through him. And so Jesus responds to him in verse 29. And Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. You have faith. You're good. Because now that you've entered in faith, you've made yourself vulnerable. You're trusting in me. Now that you've done that, you have peace and you have purpose and you have power. It's all been extended to you. But you were only willing to have that if you saw me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. You guys know what blessed means, right? It means, oh, how happy. How happy are those who have faith without having to see me. Whose whose faith, their choice of trust is anchored in who Jesus said he was. Because that's what, over and over again, throughout God's word, God tells us, look, if you're going to have a relationship with me, you got to believe my word. you got to believe what I say. All throughout history, from Genesis to Revelation, you got to believe what I've said. <clears throat> and so, making that choice to, to, to hold up God's word and to say, I put my faith and trust here. And I don't have a lot of it, but I put the little bit I got and then I ask him, give me faith to do what you say, to be who you want me to be. I make a statement of will that says, I will follow you. I will believe. Just like Thomas made the opposite. I will believe. I am am with you, you and me, Lord, till the wheels fall off. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then in verse 30 it says, Jesus did a lot of other stuff. Truly, Jesus did many other things that are not written in this book. But these are written, for what purpose? That you might believe. They're written so that you might make that statement a will that says, I will. I will make myself vulnerable to the God of the universe. I will trust in Him. And we trust that He will carry me through. Did He promise me everything works out? Man. Friday night, 1230, a brother went home to be with the Lord out of the blue, just gone. Family, as you can expect, brokenhearted, yeah? Crying, sorrowful, looking for an anchor that they can hold on to. Every house call I've ever been on like that. It's the same. Looking for some hope to cling to. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. There is not hope in any other name that is named. There is not hope anywhere else, only in him. But we have to come to him in faith, which means I have to make myself vulnerable. Just like Thomas, just like you've experienced in your life, sometimes life doesn't happen the way we thought it should. Sometimes the ball doesn't bounce our way. It doesn't mean God's not with you. He's right beside you. He said, when he gave the great commission, when he told us to go, you remember what he said next? He said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of time. Time's been around for a long time, hasn't it? I'll be with you even to the end of time. And that's what we see as we, as we look at resurrection day. We look at the hope and the trust, the, the gifts that Jesus gave. But they all hinge on that concept. Gift, the, the, all the gifts, everything that he comes to give hinges on the idea of faith. You trust him. Is he all your hope? Sitting in the chair was easy. When you're holding on to the edge of the cliff... And there's a long way down. And God says, let go. That's a whole nother animal, isn't it? That's a whole nother animal. But that's what God's calling us to. Hold on to him. Trust in him. Scripture says, when you do, you will not be disappointed. Amen? will Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this time and we can come before you on this resurrection day. And the day that we celebrate the resurrection, Lord, we would be reminded that Jesus, when you came up from the grave, you came bearing gifts. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us that you, when you brought captivity captive, you brought gifts to men. You gave some to be apostles some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Each one of those you offered the same gifts that you stood before your disciples and gave the day you stood before them. Peace I give to you. Purpose I give to you. And the power to do what I'm asking you to do. Our, Our part in that is to Believe These things were written that you might believe. That you would look at the evidence laid out. That you would look at the testimony of others. That you would consider all of those things and have laid out before you the probability that what God said is absolutely true. But still as I stand on that precipice I must make myself vulnerable and make the choice that says I believe. God you are faithful to meet us in that place. Lord as we come before you this morning we just pray your spirit would move through this place, God, that the rushing wind would blow out the dust within. That you would wake us up. Wake us up to the reality of things that are happening around us. The table is set. The pieces are moving. Prophecy is happening before our eyes. And all of that is so very exciting. But you still call us to go to sow wherever we can get the seed to sow and the hearts that are ready would receive it. This morning, if your heart is ready to receive the seed of the word, to give your trust to Jesus Christ and as we close out in a word of worship, I just invite you to come up there'll be people up front ready to pray with you. If, if God moves in your heart, I invite you to do that, to Come to come up and ask him to be your Lord and Savior to meet you on this Easter morning just as he met them disciples so long ago and may he give unto you peace purpose and the power to be whatever God is asking you to be Lord we will give you the praise and the glory now and forever for the work that you are doing in Jesus name we pray Amen.